All right, so we're in the Gospel of John tonight, chapter 15. We're gonna pick up at verse 12 in a study I'm calling Friends in High Places. So John 15, verse 12. We're gonna go all the way to chapter 16, verse four in this teaching that the Lord has and preparing his disciples, teaching them how to minister in this up-and-coming church age. Soon the Lord would die, resurrect, spend time with his disciples some 40 days, Luke tells us, declaring himself by many infallible proofs, and then the Lord would ascend into heaven, and then days later, the Holy Spirit would come on the day of Pentecost, fill the believers, and they would send them out, and the rest is history, right? We're in really Acts 29 or 30 right now. You really, the book of Acts has never ended. We're still in it. And then the chapter 28 in the book, but it just keeps going on, so we're just part of that as the gospel has been taken to the ends of the earth. And I would say Hanford is probably one of the ends of the earth, I mean, think about it. If you think about it from Jerusalem, it, it is the ends of the earth. And so we're part of that testimony. So let's pray. Father, thanks so much for the opportunity to be a part of your work. Lord, it's sweet to think that thousands of years ago, Lord, you had us on your mind. Lord, you had us on our heart. And the fact that one day, in whatever way the gospel came to us, it came to us, Lord. And we were saved and our lives were changed. Many of us delivered from drugs. Many of us delivered from just immorality. Many of us maybe even just delivered from a good traditional background, Lord, but nevertheless, we are lost in sin. And now, Lord you, Lord, you have us, Lord, and you want to use us. You want to shape us and prepare us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would wash us tonight and fill us and, Lord, just, um, in, Lord, encourage us to, to take the fight back out, Lord, and, and to um, see what you want to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have friends in high places? Well, I don't. I have, I have a lot of friends in low places, right, as the song was. But So what is a friend in a high place? A friend in a high place is an important person. And often because you know that person, you get special privileges. Now, I felt this once in my life. And I say once in my life. In 2010, we went to Peru. And while we were there, we were going to the prison, this prison ministry, and we were driving with this guy in the car, and he, speak, he spoke really, you know, good English. And, you know, we went to the prison, ministered with him. And on the way back, it turns out that this guy is like the vice president of a famous magazine in Peru, which, you know, to us is like Time Magazine. It's like the Time Magazine of Peru. Well, it turns out his dad is the owner of this place. And so he says, hey, you guys want to go... Um, Go, go tour our headquarters? And we're like, yeah, sure. And so it turns out that this place, the building is in the same mall as the nation's capital there in Peru. It's like in that same area. So, you know, we kind of get like backstage, like going in, he's showing us like all the designs and taking us to the building. You know, we were able to go up on the roof and take pictures of the capital and stuff like that. We felt pretty important. And then after that, we, another guy who went to Pastor Lucho's church in Lima, who turns out to be like the press secretary of Peru, he meets up with us, this guy named uh, Santiago, and he says, you guys want to go to a museum? And we say, yeah, sure. And so he takes us to this museum. He walks in there and he talks to this lady. And before we know it, we have like a guided tour through this. It was a Spanish Inquisition museum, but never, it was pretty cool. I mean, we're looking at all the interesting ways they tortured people and stuff like that. <laughs> but it was, it was cool. And then lunch ended, or um, all that ended with, with lunch, in which we found ourselves at this nice restaurant and many on the trip, Gino, had delectable guinea pig to eat. Missionary eater right there. And so I had the super chicken, I think it was, or something. So that's the once in my life I felt important, and then that time is gone. 
Now, this friend or any other friend on earth can't compare to the friend that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. James 2.23 says that Abraham was the friend of God. Abraham was the friend of God, we're told, because he was justified by faith. Well, you know what? You and I are also justified by faith in Jesus Christ. We are also friends of God. Jesus, in verse 15 of our passage, told his disciples that they were his friends. So through our faith, you and I are also friends of Jesus. Because we're the Lord's disciples, we're also called his friends. Now, three is not a crowd with God. Remember Jesus in, in talking about the Holy Spirit in John 14? He said that it was important that he would go, and if he would depart, he would send the Holy Spirit to us, who was another comforter. Another means another of the same kind. The word comforter is, the word paracletus means the one who comes alongside of us. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside of us to help us. He's always with us. He is a friend to us. And so we have friends in high places. We have the triune God who's always with us, who loves us and desires to work in our life. Now, as we work through this passage this evening, we're gonna learn three effects that being friends of God has on our life. First, there's an effect on how it relates to our behavior. Second, there's an effect on how it relates to our relationship with God. And third, there's an effect on how it relates to the world around us. And so first, in verses 12 through 14, we see how being friends of God affects our behavior. Now, being a friend of Jesus should affect our behavior. You know, and, um, you know, and, and, and it's important that we understand that, and that's what the Lord points out here. We don't want to be that friend who embarrasses our friend. Not that we could embarrass Jesus, but we don't want to be that person. Think of Mater in Cars 2. I mean, everybody's everybody probably seen it. You know, Lightning McQueen takes Mater to Japan, you know, and he's there, and he's just an embarrassment. We don't want to be that type of friend to Jesus, you know, and um, the Lord loves us regardless, but we want to make sure that we obey the Lord and represent him well as his friend. And that's what Jesus says here in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So this is the second time that the Lord talked about love on this last night. I mean, in a very short amount of time, the Lord is talking about love a lot because love is gonna be a very important truth in the church age. It's essential. John talks about this later in his epistle. He actually wrote a whole epistle about love. And here's what John would later write after this gospel. Um, you know, John tells us that um, loving others is a demonstration of God in us. He says in 1 John 4, he says, you know, if you know God who's love, then you will also love. And if you don't love, then you don't know God. And he says that very clearly. And he says it over and over and over in his epistle. Now, Jesus talked about love in chapter 13 by saying, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Jesus says, this is a new commandment. Now, by new commandment, he doesn't mean that this is the first time that the scriptures is talking about love. Love was a very important truth in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.18, we're told that um, God told the children of Israel that they were to love their neighbors as himself. But the newness of this command is not that the fact that we're to love, but it's how we're to love. We're told here that we're to love others like Jesus loves us. And that's, you know, that's laying down our lives for others. 
and uh, you know, as, as we walk with the Lord and the Lord reveals to us his grace in our life, it will motivate us and drive us to, to love others. Jesus explains this in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, some of you not growing up in a Christian home thought that this was coined by Bagheera in the 1967 version of the Jungle Book. Remember what Bagheera said? He says, but you must remember, Mowgli, greater love hath no one than he who lays down his life for his friend. But actually, Jesus had Bagheera beat by some 2,000 years. And uh, Jesus also demonstrated it as well. Jesus said it, and then he demonstrated it. He lived it out. I mean, it wasn't just the fact that he died. It's what his whole life was based on. I mean, the Lord left heaven, came to this earth as a man, took up a human body, born through the virgin birth, and then lived some 30 years to die. He lived a life of suffering, and then he took our place on the cross and took God's wrath for us. And this is the greatest demonstration of what it is to love. Paul in Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And so yeah, Christ laid down his life for us, but it's not like we were good people. It's not like we deserved it. Paul says you were enemies of God. You were alienated in your mind by wicked works. Ephesians 2 says that we are children of wrath. We are children of disobedience, held under sway of Satan, headed for judgment. But yet in that time, God demonstrated his own love for us in that Christ died for us. And so it's talking about God's grace here. This is what love is. This is what biblical love is. It's not loving for something in return. It's loving because it's based on truth. And it's based upon the good of others. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So there's certain essentials to be someone's friend, right? There's things like communication and care and and so on. Well, there are certain things that make people um, not someone's friend, like speaking rudely to somebody, right? Dissing them, not spending time with them. Well, Jesus in the same way has essentials for our friendship. Our friendship is based upon obeying him. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords, and we're to obey his word. And if we obey his word, well, then we're his friend. If we don't obey his word, and then it's like doing those things to show somebody that, you know, that you're, you're not their friend. And so, you know, if you diss somebody, you're, you're not their friend. In the same way, if you don't obey Jesus' word, well, then he says, that's just demonstration right there that you're not my friend. Now, obviously, we should obey all of Jesus' words, that he tells us to do, all of the scripture, because it is the word of God. But John specifically focuses on love. 1 John 3.13, quoting the, gospel, or the uh, epistle of John again, John says this, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then he says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So that's John's truth over and over and over. You're born again, well then you should love. You're born again, then you should love. And he says, you wanna know what love is? It's just as Jesus said in the gospels. Love is 
laying down your life for the brethren. We all love John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. First John 3, 16 gives us the other half of that. Because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our life for the brethren. Now what does this even mean, to lay down our life for the brethren? Well, John goes on and kind of gives us some insight into this. He goes on in verse 17 of his epistle, right after he says that. And he says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know a, that, um, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So we as believers are to look out for other people's spiritual and physical needs. We're to lay down our lives for others just as Christ laid down his life for us. And this is what we see demonstrated in the book of Acts. You know, there was that time in which the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church there on the day of Pentecost and people were getting saved and people understood it and they understood that God was doing a work in their life. And so it wasn't something forced, but it was something that God did. God moved on a heart of a man named Barnabas and Barnabas said, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna provide so the work of the ministry can go on. And he went and provided and other people followed the example and began to you know, sell things and, and lay it at the apostles' feet. Not because the apostles were some money-hungry people, but people understood that, hey, if, if, if God is gonna minister to these people, then their needs need to be met and so they can stay in a place to hear the word. Now, of course, there was hypocrisy out of it with Ananias and Sapphira, but, you know, that doesn't change the truth that God was, was doing the work. Now, I'm not saying that everybody here tonight needs to sell everything they have, but nevertheless, we are told in the scripture that, that we're to look out for one another, that might be providing for someone physically. It might be ministering to someone spiritually, rebuking them if they're in sin. You know, that's a good thing to do. You know, if, if we love somebody, you know, sometimes we have to tell them the hard truth, but we're to do it in love. But nevertheless, we're to look out for one another. Just as a family member lays down their life for each other, even so we as the body of Christ are to lay down our life for one another. Second, verses 15 through 17, we see the effects that our friendship with Jesus has on our relationship with God. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. Now, at first reading, you think, wait a second, is there a contradiction between what Jesus says and the New Testament epistles? Did the apostles not understand that they're no longer servants? Well, no, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. You know, that's not what the Lord is saying at all. The apostles, when he talked about being servants, he talked about their willingness to obey and lay down their life for Jesus as bond slaves. It was their willingness to serve the Lord. But the Lord here is talking about his relationship and his communication to his disciples. You see, a servant in that time, you know, in that day, especially in the Roman household or, or anywhere else, they didn't need very much insight into why their master was telling them certain things. They were like, hey, by the way, I want you to go sweep the front porch. Why? Well, you, you don't ask why. It's just, no, I've told you to do it, so just go ahead and do it. And the Lord here is saying, we have a closer relationship than that as disciples, as master and disciples. Yes, the disciples, we are to go out and serve the Lord and obey his word and keep his commandments if we are his disciples. But nevertheless, as friends of the king, the king also gives us insight into his affairs 
into why he's doing certain things. And that's our relationship with the Lord. He is the king, we are his servants, but nevertheless, we're his friends. We're, you know, we're on the inside with the Lord. You know, we're joint heirs with Christ. And the Lord gives us insight into his plan. He gives us insight into who he is. He gives us insight in how he thinks and how he feels. And that's what he's been doing with his disciples. He talked about being troubled when Judas betrayed him. And the Lord, the God of heaven's earth, is willing to even share his heart with us. And we can share our heart with him. And that's all part of friendship. And so as we walk with the Lord, we have a blessed opportunity to know God in his grace. Sometimes we think, oh, well, okay, is that even a point? I mean, let's just move on, something more deep. I mean, but if you think about it, it's a very important truth. We get to know God and his grace. I mean, we have the entire revelation of God. We can, can know what God is gonna do in the future as it regards nations, as, regard, as regards our world, as it regards our own future, as we look at us rejoicing in heaven around the throne, as, as it talks about us coming back with the Lord as the second coming. These are all truths that the people, even in the Old Testament, didn't have, but yet you and I, we have it. We should, and we shouldn't take it for granted. We should study it to show ourselves approved. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So disciples were chosen by Jesus specifically to bear fruit and to touch the world with the gospel. Now, one of the tools that God would use for their own personal growth and also the growth of the ministry of the church is prayer. I mean, I can't get over the fact that Jesus is talking about prayer over and over and over on this last night. He talks about love and he talks about prayer. Not just praying and hoping that God would work, no, but because we have a good father in heaven, he said God wants to work, that he could be revealed, that he could be glorified. Now, obviously, the closer we are to Jesus, the closer we'll know God's heart, right? The closer we'll walk in God's will and know what God wants to do and we'll be in line with him. But God has chosen us. He's given us a mission specifically to go out and to touch the world. He's chosen you specifically for the mission that you have. And that's, and that's encouraging to know that the Lord is not gonna make a mistake in placing you where he's placed you. Think, wait a second, Lord, did you make a mistake with me? <laughs> Maybe I should be somewhere else. And the Lord says, no, I've fitted you for this. I've equipped you with this. I've given you my grace for this. I've even given you prayer, a direct access line to me. It's like tech support. You know, I love tech support, especially as a mechanic. You know, you can't fix something, call up tech support and they'll walk you through it. And, that, and that's what we have with God. You know, he's equipped us with this. He, he's, he's preparing us for whatever job we, we have to do. He's given us grace to do it. And man, if we run into problems or, or if we just wanna talk, you know, or commune, or if we're down, the, the Lord, we have that direct access to him that we can talk to him and, and be encouraged. Verse 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. So Jesus' commands come with his enabling. He says, love one another as I love you, but I'm also gonna equip you to do it. And the Lord will never tell you something that, that, you know, that you can't do. You think, Lord, you don't know the people I'm called to love. Well, the Lord says, I do. I mean, because I loved you. I mean, be, you know, b before you were a believer. And so the Lord has given us power to love and our love comes with will. And that's really what it's based upon. It's based upon will. Love is an act of the will. It's an act of submission. You know, it might not always feel good. The person might not always deserve it. But nevertheless, 
we, we don't respond to the person, we respond to God. And as we respond to God and his truth, the Lord will give us power to do it. Stretch forth your hand, the Lord said to the crippled man. The guy could have said, Lord, you don't understand, I can't do that. But yet at the Lord's word, he was able to stretch forth his hand. So if the Lord's calling us to love others, well then he's gonna give us the power to when he convicts us through his word, gives us also the power to do it. And the enemy knows. I mean, you know, the enemy knows that it, if, if we do love others, it's gonna be a witness. And so he's gonna try to stop us to do it. And that's what we'll learn at the end of chapter 15. Now, third, we learn in verses 18 through chapter 16, verse four, the effects on how it relates to the world around us. How does our relationship with Jesus and this friendship have with the world around us? Well, the world's a bunch of haters, right? That's basically what he says here. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And so once again, Jesus is talking about preparation here. He's preparing his disciples. He wanted to give them the truth on what to expect. Now, this world, he says, is not gonna be excited, guys, when you take the gospel out to them. You know, here they are preparing, you know, but he says, but know this, when I leave, they're not gonna be happy with what you have to say. They're not gonna be excited to hear the gospel and learn that they're sinners in need of God. They're not gonna be excited when they see you loving each other. They're gonna get angry at it. They're gonna be convicted. But regardless of that, we're to go out and we're to love others. The disciples were to go out and, and to preach the gospel regardless of the circumstances or the people that they would face. Now, it's sad here that Jesus says one of the greatest persecutors that we're gonna have are those who call themselves religious. And that is one of the greatest enemies of the church in the first century was you know, religious Judaism. People who had turned their backs on God, turned their backs on Jesus and as, as we'll see, thought that they were doing God a service by persecuting the church. The apostle Paul was one of them. He was filled with zeal, but yet he was doing it in ignorance. And Jesus says, no, this guy's, this is what's coming. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. And if, I had not, and, and if I had not done among them the words which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And so there was no pleading ignorance to their disobedience. Israel couldn't plead ignorance. Their Messiah had come just as their scriptures foretold. He did exactly what the scripture said. He did the miracles exactly as the scripture said, but yet they despised and they rejected Jesus. And so Jesus made it very clear. He says, hey guys, they did it without a cause. They had no just basis for rejecting me. And this was all part of God's prophetic plan. God foresaw that Israel would turn their back on Jesus and he prophesied it there in their law. They hated me without a cause. And anybody who really turns their back on Jesus today also does so without a cause. 
I mean, the Lord has given sufficient evidence for mankind to turn to him, as we learned on Sunday. We have creation that bears witness, all mankind. And that's why Paul in Romans 1 says, therefore, they're without excuse. They're, they're without excuse. A person who rejects God and rejects his revelation that he gives them through creation is without excuse because God has revealed himself to man through conscience. We have the moral law written on our hearts, Romans 2.15, right? We have creation around us. The heavens declare the glory of God in Psalm 19. We're made in the image of God, right? We're, to, we're, we're told that in Genesis 1, but also in Romans chapter 1. All these, different ev- all these different evidences, the fact that there's a God, and if man rejects it, then they reject God's revelation. We also have prophecy. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies at his first coming, Prophecies that were impossible for just any one man to fulfill. If they're not willing to receive those, well, then they're rejecting Jesus without a cause. If they reject the Bible, God's revelation of himself, well, then they do so without a cause. People mock the Bible, but what they don't realize is the Bible is the most, one of the most historical accurate books that we have in history. It's the oldest, most complete book that we have of all ancient history. We have entire manuscripts, entire New Testaments, almost, that date some 400 years from the life of Christ. The Codex Sinaiticus, right to Vaticanus and the Alexandrius, in complete text. I mean, the only book that is even near that is Homer's Iliad, but the gap from when it was written and when it was actually, um, you know, from when the book was actually copied was like some 700 years. And even Alexander the Great, there was some 1,000 years in between when he actually lived and when they actually wrote about his life. But yet people read him in school all the time and think, oh, yeah, it's the truth. It's a fact. But yet we have the Bible. I like what Simon Greenleaf said. He said, you can put the gospel writers, uh, you know, and admit their, their gospels in any court of law today. You know, you can put them on stand. He wrote a book called um, uh, The Testimony of the Evangelist showing how the gospel writers told a true, accurate testimony, and the Bible is a true, accurate witness. So anybody who rejects Jesus does so without a cause. And the Lord wants to make it very clear that if they do so because they say that they're religious, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in God. He said, well, they're doing that without a cause also. Because if you don't love me, well, then you don't love my Father also. Anybody who says, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but I pray to God, the cord is cut right there. God will hear their prayer if they'll cry out to him and, and turn from their sin and, and believe in the Lord. But they have no relationship with God unless they come through Jesus Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus goes on in verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from my Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so here Jesus talks about the Trinity again. He refers to himself, he refers to the Father, and he refers to the Spirit who will come from him and the Father. And so all three persons, but yet there's one God. And so Jesus says, hey, the world's gonna reject you, but this shouldn't silence the work of God. This will not silence the work of God. But rather, God is gonna use it as a platform to declare his work. God's gonna give you the Holy Spirit to testify of me. Also, you will also be witnesses of me. And these two truths came together on the day of Pentecost. 
as the Lord and sent his Holy Spirit and they were filled with the Spirit. They became witnesses of the Lord and the Lord sent them out to preach the gospel and then the Lord confirmed it through miracles, signs, and wonders. We might not see a lot of signs and wonders today, but we preach the gospel and the Lord does back it up with our testimony in the work of God in our hearts by loving others and by preaching the word and, and the truths of God's scripture. Now, chapter 16, verse one, but these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time was coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So here's the sign-up sheet for service right there, the Lord says. You know, the Lord didn't beat around the bush. He told him the plain truth exactly like it was. You know, he wasn't gonna hide the truth from them and try to give them all the perks to serve them. Yeah, you'll get, you know, you know here's all the blessings you'll have. Oh yeah, then by the way, this is what's gonna happen. He says, no guys, this is what's gonna happen when you serve me. Just know it, he gave them the truth. And disciples were to surrender in love to, you know, to the Lord. A time will come, yes, they did put them out of the synagogues. And the reason they did so is because by boldness, they went into the synagogues and preached. Synagogue was a very important part in the life of the early church. Many of the believers were saved out of the synagogues. But yet, as, as the gospel began to spread more and more and more, you know, by some 90 AD, they didn't let them in the synagogues anymore because they knew that they were going in there to preach the gospel. But God would use it. And eventually, Israel, you know, in, in, in many of the synagogues would turn their back on the Lord. And many of the early churches were, you know, believers were Jews. And Jesus says, hey, just know this, that they're gonna think that, you know, that they do God a service, basically prophesying of the apostle Paul here. But yet know this, that, you know, just expect it, it's, it's gonna come. So we're to live out our life for Jesus. We're to be witnesses of him. And the way we do so is by being his friend, by drawing near to him and by representing him to the world. It will have an effect on us. It will affect on how we relate to Jesus. It will affect, you know, affect on how we relate to each other. But know this is also gonna affect our relationship with the world. And John would later write that we can't be friends of the world and friends of God. The world will hate us as soon as we live for the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that we should be annoying and, you know, and obnoxious like some of these people you see on the news, stuff like that. But we, yes, we are to love people in the world. And if they turn their back on us, well, then we just shake the dust off our feet and move on, preach the gospel somewhere else. Amen?